Welcome to episode 18 of the Inside Here podcast. My name is Elijah. I'm here with Sutton. On today's episode, we'll be showing some love for Mr. Miguel Cabrera, the newest member of the 500 Home Run Club, and showing him some appreciation for his Hall of Fame career. Um, he's been pretty underappreciated for the past couple of seasons, and you know what? This guy is an amazing guy, amazing ball player. And from there, we'll be discussing the future Hall of Famer, Yadier Molina, as well, who's going to be entering his final season next season. And then from there, we'll be talking about the CBA talks of having a luxury tax threshold and having a salary floor as well in our viewpoints on both matters and see exactly, okay, is this the good way to incentivize teams to spend money? Is this really going to be, is this too low of a luxury tax threshold? And from there, we'll be talking about the Yankees hot streak, the athletic struggling, and their big series this, this upcoming weekend. And yeah, from that's pretty much it for episode 18 of the Inside Podcast, and it's all coming up next. So the date is June 20th, 2003. Miguel Cabrera make his, makes his major debut for the Florida Marlins against the Tampa Bay Devil Rays. He hits a walk-off home run in his major debut. On August 22nd, 2021, he hits his 500th career home run. Absolute beast. This guy looked like he was going to... This guy could have easily beaten Hank Aaron's record, in my opinion. Had he stayed on that track, had he continued to hit like he he could, like in 2013 where he won the Triple Crown, and he, his past couple of years he's completely derailed. His career completely got derailed by injuries, and you know he's still a great ball player. We're still seeing greatness, but lately he's been underappreciated. What do you what do you think, son? Man, it's interesting to see. How he hits a walk-off home run in his first game, and it, it, it's kind of—it only seemed to kind of set the tone for how Miguel Cabrera was going to be as a player throughout his entire career. I mean, when you when you boil it down, we're talking about one of the greatest players of our generation, um, a, a, a historically good player who's, you know, like you mentioned, the 500 home runs along with a career 311 hitter. I mean, like he's a total package, and you know the the impact he's had on like this young Detroit Tigers team coming up. I think it's tremendous just how he's been able to carry himself as a leader through that ball club. And just, like I said, the generational talent we got to experience with Miguel Cabrera. And unfortunately, like you said, injuries have kind of derailed that a little bit and sort of we're seeing towards the end of his career. Uh, but just the, the impact he's had is on the game of baseball, I, I don't think, can be stated enough. I mean, I mean, hell, the guy won a triple crown. Right, and I think like the last time before Miguel Cabrera won it was like over a hundred years. Yeah, Miguel Cabrera won it back in 2012. I'm gonna correct what I had said. I originally said 2013. Yeah, before Miggy, it was Carl Yusimski in 1967. Okay, so not quite a hundred, but I mean, yeah. a damn long time before that. The last time that happened, and he did it with 44 bombs and damn near 140 rubies. So while hitting 330, it's just it's. It's unbelievable, I guess, the uh, the level of talent Miguel Cabrera was at one point in time, and just how dominant he was. And I mean, I think it's fair to say that in like that 2008 to 2014, he was basically like the face of baseball. Yeah, for the longest time, it was him and Albert Pujols just battling each other for who is the face of baseball. And Miggy just kept on going. Once Pujols made um, went to Los Angeles to play for the Angels. Miggy just completely overtook him in that category of becoming the face of baseball because Pujols left in 2011, went to Los Angeles, and his career had was never the same after that. Whereas Miggy, up until 26, up until 2016, he was still that dominant force in that lineup, huge name in baseball, still the face of baseball, and one of the most lovable guys in baseball too. You see him pranking a lot of his players that go on, on first like that make it for space and you see him like grabbing their pockets you see him doing every once in a while he pretends to have the ball on him but he doesn't really have it and he's just a really fun and loose guy and he's pretty he's completely different from Albert Pools who's a little bit more stoic a little bit um 
by leading by example and whatnot. Whereas Miggy was just, he was just having fun. He just loved baseball. He could literally get out of bed and just start hitting. He, his swing is so beautiful. One of the most beautiful right-handed swings in baseball, in my opinion. People think left-hand, like left-handed hitters have really great smooth swings. They look the prettiest swings. But Miguel Cabrera from the right-handed side, definitely, in my opinion, has the prettiest right-handed swing in baseball. Oh, 100%, man. And kind of like, I want to touch on something real quick, kind of like you hinted at. I mean, for a guy who's a first-bout Hall of Famer by all accounts, he's never throughout his entire career taken himself too seriously. Like, we've seen him interact with the fans. And, I mean, even today, like Miguel Cabrera, like I said, is an established first-bout Hall of Famer. The second he retires, well, I'm sorry, six years after he retires, he's definitely getting in. But he... He acts like uh, he's a kid out there just enjoying the game of baseball, which I think you know a lot of players could kind of take something from because it, it's just it, it's been in a really cool way, I guess, to watch someone as at the pedestal that he's at just be so loose and relaxed all the time. Yeah, the guys right now like Mike Trout, who's current plays baseball. He he doesn't. I mean, he takes he takes baseball very seriously. Obviously, he's still a level dude that he really interacts with fans, but you don't see him pranking other players on, on the field. He's very competitive. Miggy, he's both competitive and always pranking people on the field. Granted, right now, the Tigers are not in the best spot either, so he's just out there playing baseball, doing what he loves, and he's just, he's a four, he's a leader in that clubhouse, and that's exactly what the Tigers need right now as they're rebuilding, retooling, whatever you want to call it, and Unfortunately, we'll see how much longer he's going to be in Detroit. His contract is up in 2025 at the age of 42, so he still has a good amount. He still has four more seasons left on a contract, and I would love to see him finish it off. I don't, I don't see it happening, but I do want to see, you know, um, possibly reach that 600 club and hopefully keeps it about an average over 300 because as of right now, he's one of four players with 500 career home runs and about an average of 300, over 300. Unfortunately, we saw Albert Pujols over his abysmal years with the Angels. He slowly under, went underneath that threshold of batting 300 for his career. So I really just want to see Miguel Cabrera finish off with a 300 career batting average and 500, at least 500 home runs. You know that Miguel Cabrera is the only, or sorry, out to be the seventh player in big league history with 500 bombs and 3,000 hits. Yeah, dude, it's amazing. This guy, go ahead. Well, that's what's so cool about it too. Is like, I mean, he's he's a power bat that's going to hit for average, and it's like that's the best all around hitter you could ask for. You know, because it seems like a lot of guys are kind of either one or the other. And I think my next comp to him is kind of like a David Ortiz style, where they can hit for average while hitting for power, and it's like that's so rare. It feels like in today's game because it just seems so you're either an average guy who's going to have like you may run into 10 home runs throughout an entire season, or you're going to have the guys who are going to, like the Mike Zaninas, will hit 30 bombs, but they'll, they won't hit like over 200. So it's it's cool to see, I guess, just the, the blend of those two as a guy who can, I mean, in his best season, uh, that triple crown year, I mean, he hit 44 bombs while hitting 330. You know, and it, that's, that's such a, like, a unique thing to see. Um, and I mean, I just love it from a baseball fan perspective. Yeah, he's always been awesome to watch throughout the throughout his career, and like we were talking about, he he's been very unappreciated lately, and he just we need we need to put a spotlight on him a lot more. And yeah, I, oops, sorry, um, shoot, I don't know where I was going. <laughs> <laughs> Miguel Cabrera, the goat. I one of the goats. Yes. Uh, I think if you talk about like the best, like. One of the best five players from like 2010 to 2020, Miguel Cabrera is probably the top of that list, um, and I don't think you're going to get any any argument on that one. Yeah, he. Um, and the best part was his his 500 career home run was to right field, which is something that he's done throughout his entire career is hitting to all fields with power, which we don't see that often anymore. Right now, we only got Trout. We got Shohei, Judge, Giancarlo. Uh, I feel like I'm missing a couple of other people, but he uses all the field. And just back when he was still that amazing hitter, 
he's still an amazing hitter now, but like back when he was like on another planet, he would hit to all fields even without power. Like if he was just making contact, he would hit to the opposite field. Now we see him pulling more on the ground, but beforehand he was always just spraying the ball over the field. You you couldn't really shift on him until lately until he started pulling with the ball more, man, because he's getting older. And so he was just trying to get ahead of the ball rather than letting it travel. But right now, he's that swing to right field is just beautiful, man. Always had one of the most beautiful. Sure. Yeah, always had one of those most beautiful swings. I'm going to the opposite field, and yeah. What do, What do you think about his right his swing? Like, do you think it's also it's one of the prettiest? Oh no! Listen, I, I love it. To me, it's like it's a pure baseball swing, and, and to me, he sort of sets the tone for that because of how good he is. That where it's like. You know, that's why I guess I fall in love with the swing for how, like, because the stat book also backs it up. Because, I mean, there's guys like, and I'll use uh, Carlos Gonzalez, for example. Not that, listen, Carlos Gonzalez had a great career. I don't have a single bad thing to say about Carlos Gonzalez, but he's not Miguel Cabrera. And I think Miggy, being who Miggy is, having the stat book back that up, it, it just makes that swing even more prettier. And to me, it's very, like, fundamentally correct, which I just absolutely love. Yeah, so he'll be going into the Hall of Fame as a Tiger, right? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. It's kind of. I wish. Uh, I will say though, like, uh, he won that World Series with the Marlins in '03. I wish he would have had another ring, like in that. Who was it? Maybe it was 2014 when they had Price, Scherzer, and Verlander. Is that 2014 or 15? Definitely earlier than 2015. I know that for a fact. Um, it seems like it'd be 14 then, because 13, they, that, that's when they lost to Boston in the playoffs. Let's see, Detroit 2015. Oh yeah, you were right, you were right. <laughs> no, like 2014, 2014, yeah, because they okay. got Price at the trade deadline. Yeah, yes. and Scherzer and all them. Yeah, dude, and it's like for how stacked those teams were, man, it's like, how did that team not win a championship? I know, man, it was ridiculous, man. I loved, I literally was about to say the same exact thing. I was like, it just sucks that he couldn't win a ring with the Detroit Tigers. It would have been awesome to have seen that. And, um, yeah, I don't see how the, the Tigers... I mean, I know why. Because Dave, Dave Dabrowski, who was also the Red Sox GM a couple of years ago, he doesn't invest in the bullpen whatsoever. And that's what ruined it for the Tigers. That's what ruined it for the Red Sox, too. That's something he's had a very good track record of doing, is not investing in the bullpen. And we all know pitching wins World Series, except for 2017 when literally balls were flying all over the place and the back and forth between the Astros and Dodgers. Outside of that series, pitching wins World Series. Yeah, you're not wrong. You are not wrong. Uh, we saw it with the 2014 20, yeah, Giants uh, with guys like Bumgarner coming up and stepping up big. Um, so, yeah, you're right. Pitching wins championships. and I mean, they had it in the rotation, just the bullpen, like you said, just wasn't there. Yeah, just faulted way too much, and you can't rely on your starters to give to give you that many innings. Well, I mean, yeah, you can rely on them to give you innings, but you can't rely on them doing that day in and day out in the playoffs because you still need to save them for the the rest of the series. And I believe back then you would see pitchers taking three days rest and coming back as like a starting pitcher back in those playoff seas playoff series. Um, now you don't, you're not, in, you're probably never going to see another pitcher go three on three days rest or two days rest. Like we oh, did, no. yeah. Like we did back in the early 2010s, and even before the 2010s, like in 2009 when the Yankees went with a CC Burnett and Pettit rotation to win a World Series in 2009. And yeah, anyway, back to Miguel Cabrera. Um, just an amazing dude, amazing human being, and we're gonna miss him. Well, he's yeah. not. He's not gone. Well, he still has four more years on his contract, but still. Like when 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 he hangs it up, it's gonna be really tough. Now, do you think he finishes those four years, or do you think he uh, he's gonna retire beforehand? Um, I would want to say he. Me, I would like to see him finish it, but I highly doubt that's gonna happen. I feel like the Tigers and him are gonna come to agreement, saying, "Hey, you're making too much money right now, and you're not as productive as you used to be. Let's work out a deal. You can be." Like a, a like a assistant to a general manager, and we'll pay you the rest of the contract throughout these certain amount of years, like yearly installments, kind of like how we saw Bobby Bonilla when they bought him out and just 
keep paying what, whatever part of a salary to for, uh, just yeah because right now right now it's not too bad for the Tigers right now having him on the on the books because they're still not ready to win at all with, as of right now but once you start seeing their young guys coming into their own and they're starting to be more productive and Miggy I would assume he's going to come dead weight at some point he still kind of is right now at the moment but then at that point when your young guys are ready to take it to another level, take ready to get that win, ready to start winning again. You're gonna buy out the rest of his contract. That way, you can focus spending that money elsewhere to complement those pieces that are coming up. How about you? What's your feeling about his contract? Well, listen, I 100% agree with what you're saying, and that's what kind of made it scary to start the season because I think there was a while he was hitting either under like 200 or right around the 200 mark, and it's like, well, man, what if that doesn't get better? But uh, I mean, he's hitting a respectable 250 now with 14 bombs. Uh, I mean, like, as a as a fan who grew up watching Miguel Cabrera in his prime, I want to see him finish out that deal as a Tiger and, like, finish out playing as, like, a ball player. But realistically, with how the game kind of... How the game phases these guys out, it, it seems like he won't be there. If I had to guess, he's... For sure, got two more years and maybe a third, but I, I don't think there's no way he sees that fourth end of the fourth year. Yeah, right now he's signed through 2023, but then there's a the vesting option for 2024 and 2025. So I could see him. I could see him maybe finish up mid 2023. At that point, they're probably gonna be like, okay, you're not the same as you used to be. We still love having you around. But let's just go in about the last year or so, and then those vesting options we can pay off later on, if it's if it's been vested. I'm not sure if it has or not. Um, but yeah, I can definitely see him finishing this season up. Well, he's definitely gonna finish up this season. I mean, there's only two months, month and a half, not even month and a half, honestly, really. No, month and a half, yeah. And I could see him finishing off next season, but then 2023, I would assume the Tigers would start seeing their young guys being very productive and maybe at the deadline they're like okay maybe right now you're just you're just not being too productive right now at the moment and we just need to go in different directions and we need to spend we need to be able to make these trades and bring on the salary that we need to start to really really win and so they're buying out his contract kind of like how the Yankees did with, with um, A-Rod where they just wanted to see their young guys play and so they just bought out his contract well, they didn't buy all his contract. Well, yeah, I guess so. So, yeah. So, I think 2023, halfway through that, they're going to buy him out. Now, do you think that Miguel Cabrera will ever see a playoff game again? No. No, I think he's not. No? Yeah, he's not going to make the playoff. He's not going to see a playoff game any, at any point unless he gets traded. But I don't think there's... I guess if they do trade him... It'd be to a team that's contending, and they really just want him for leadership position, leader leadership role, and like show them, okay, this is how you guys are gonna hit in this certain situation for the playoffs. This is like just calm your nerves and everything. That's the only way I can see him making playoffs is if he ends up getting traded somewhere, which is a possibility considering we probably will be seeing the 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 hitter in the National League next year. So I sure. guess there's a possibility that he makes playoffs again, but as of right now, as a Tiger he will not see another playoff game. Yeah, I can't disagree with you. All right. Now, listen, I do have some questions about another guy who we grew up watching. Uh, this one in the National League, different position. He was usually standing behind home plate, and that is Mr. Yadier Molina, who just announced that he will be retiring at the end of the 2022 season. What's your thoughts on that? It's sad, man. This guy revolutionized catching. He, he's literally pretty. Every catcher coming up within the past ten years or so have, idol, have probably idolized this guy and really wanted to become the next Yadier Molina in terms of defensive ability. Hitting wise, he's not exactly. He's pretty. He's pretty good hitting wise. It's just not. It's just not like if you look at his numbers hitting wise, he's probably not a Hall of Fame person, like Hall of Fame player, but all his tools and everything, especially that arm, that amazing arm, it's definitely going to get him Hall of Fame. Because, oh, absolutely. Yeah, because this guy, every catcher wanted to model after him. Him and Pudge Rodriguez. But, yeah, but, I mean, 
Yadi always, to me, he just he always set the tone for like what it means to be a great defensive catcher. Like you said, the offensive numbers aren't great, but a two eighty catcher is. I mean, I I don't think you're ever going to hear a complaint from me out of a guy who's hitting two eighty at the catcher position. But um, yeah, I mean, over two thousand hits, like offensively, like you said, does he get out of the Hall of Fame? I don't know. He's probably the Hall of really good. Um, but I, I think his defense and his leadership ability for a team that won two World Series with him, you know, I don't, I don't see how he doesn't get into the Hall of Fame. Yeah, he's getting Hall of Fame. He, there's no doubt about that. It might take him a little bit because a lot of people probably really hurt, really see those offensive statistics and be like, is he really a Hall of Famer? But I feel at the end of the day, he will become a Hall of Fame. He will go in as Cardinal. He will be remembered as one of the best defensive catcher in all of baseball. In baseball history and a guy that really was him and him and um adam wainwright really cemented their legacy of the cardinals and this guy and yachty's definitely been the face of the franchise once pools left and yeah he's just been he's well he's on a one-year 10 million extension for next season and it's funny because the past couple years we've been hearing rumors of him saying he would he would go somewhere else like i believe that this past season, this past off season, there was chance, there was talk between the Yankees and him. It would have been so that, weird. <laughs> Good. Do you think that was like him trying to like, I don't want to say calling the Cardinals bluff, but like, do you think he was doing that as sort of like forcing the Cardinals' hands to offer him more money? Oh yeah, for sure. But it still just would have been weird to have seen him in a different uniform either way. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't picture it. Yeah, it's kind of one of those guys where it just wouldn't look right whatsoever. Now, what's your take? Because, I, I mean, this is even more rare nowadays, but what do you think about guys who spend their entire career with a single organization? What do I think about it? Yeah. Oh, it's awesome. I love it. We saw, they're not, we're not going to see that happen um, that often anymore. Cause it's like who's doing it? I got, the only guy I can think of off the top of my head is Trout, but that's if he doesn't get traded. But other than that, I don't. Maybe Judge, maybe doubt it, but maybe. Oh yeah, no Judge. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, as of right now, it's probably gonna be Trout, and that's it. There's, yeah. There's nobody else you can name, in my opinion, that it's not gonna be able to finish out their career with with one team. We saw the end of that back when. Todd Helton retired back when Cheetah retired. I think both of them were in the same season, 2014. And we also saw that with the most recent case, Joe Maurer in 2019. I think he retired 2019 or 2018. Right. So yeah, it's not going to happen whatsoever anymore, especially since teams are not... So teams are tanking a lot lately. So you see them cutting their loss. They, they You see them trading away their franchise guys in order to give them a chance to win and also take off their salary off the books and also, and get those prospects back in return. And so, yeah, I don't, see, I don't see that happening with any team whatsoever anymore where one player spends their entire career with one team, except for Clayton Kershaw, now that I think about it. Oh, good point, good point. <laughs> yeah, there's no chance that Clayton Kershaw will finish his career anywhere else besides the Dodgers, same as Mike Trout with the Angels. Hey, doesn't Kirsch have an opt-out at the end of the season? I think he does, but there's no chance he's going to leave the Dodgers. He's not going to go anywhere. Dodgers can't do yeah. that. They can't do that to their, to their franchise. And let's and face it, the, the Dodgers have all the money in the world. That's true. Now, I mean, but if you're the Dodgers, and let's just say both guys, I mean, they're probably not, but let's just say both guys cost the same dollar figure. You have to pick between re-signing Kershaw or re-signing Scherzer. Who are you picking? Kershaw. Okay, good answer. Yeah, Kershaw. You got to go Kershaw. I don't care that Kershaw's been AIL this season. I don't care. You. I don't care if Scherzer finishes off of like a better high note in the playoffs than Kershaw does. You're bringing back Kershaw, no matter what. You let Scherzer walk. You. You already know that Scherzer has preference for the West Coast, and that's going to work the Dodgers. That's going to work in the Dodgers' favor. You're probably getting into a bidding war with the Dodgers. I mean, with the Padres for Scherzer. If you were to bring back Scherzer too. But yeah, you have to bring your legacy guy back. You have to. So, 
I agree, and he and he has been like a franchise cornerstone for them. So I I, I hope they bring him back. But listen, one thing I've learned is that baseball anything can happen. So yeah, baseball's business. All these statistics off of CooperstownCred.com, which seems like a cool site because this is the first time I've seen it. Um, but yeah, two World Championships between 2006 and 2011. There's that famous um, picture of Adam Wainwright, who was closer at that time, jumping into Yachty's arms and just jumping together, celebrating the World Series over the Detroit Tigers, speaking of the Tigers, in the 2011 World Series against the Rangers. And batted 328 in the World in 21 World Series games. So he was a clutch dude in, in the playoffs as well. He's just, overall, he's definitely going to make the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I agree, man. And like, and you, like I said, even like like we we've touched on about his offensive numbers not being that strong. I mean, go out and find me another catcher that's going to have a career two eighty average. I don't think you would be able to. You know, so yeah, we've we've been spoiled watching the great career of Yadier Molina. Um, it's going to be weird not having him in the league. You know, I think we've said this in previous episodes where it's like it seems like the generation of players we grew up watching are start are slowly starting to kind of get phased out, and I think. Yachty going is probably gonna be that first domino to go, um, but yeah, man, it, it's it's been a hell of a career for Yachty and Molina. Yeah, and Pools has had a resurgence with the Dodgers too, so it looks like Yachty. Will, it looks like Yachty will be the first one to hang him up out of our generation of um, players and everything. Yeah. All right, so I brought up the Orioles trading away the productive guys. I no, I brought up like teams that are tanking, trading away the productive guys. And speaking of tanking, the Orioles won their first game yesterday since August 2nd. That's Is eight. it bad that I was kind of like hoping they would lose just so they would lose like 20 consecutive games? It's not bad at all, man. Okay, good. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Um, as of now, as we're recording this right now, the Angels are losing 7-1 to Baltimore. Oh god! So right on cue of us talking how bad the Angels pitching is, they're losing to freaking Baltimore seven one. Just lost nineteen in a row. Nineteen in a row. It's a long losing streak, and this definitely brings up talk of the salary floor. And I'm gonna go read this off the article off from the Athletic, which is from Evan Drillich and Ken Rosendahl. So MLB CBA this this off season is gonna be really really tough. We're probably going to see a strike or something because there's a lot of stuff to go over. And this is one thing that I really like is having a salary floor of 100 million. The other thing I don't like, but the thing I don't like about it is they're going to start doing a luxury tax threshold, 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 starting at 180 million, which would literally put the top four payrolls paying a big, massive tax to teams that are not willing to spend their money. How frustrating is that? Well, and that's stupid because it's like you're penalizing teams who are going out there spending money, you know, because let's be honest, man, player salaries, I feel like, are only going to go up, right? So you're going to penalize the teams who are going to pay those guys an exorbitant amount of money, and it's just going to be to help out the teams who have been kind of dragging their feet on paying their guys, like the Rays, who, you know, would rather trade away their homegrown talent as opposed to re-signing them, you know, making the fans happy. So I, I like the idea of the floor. I don't necessarily see a problem with the ceiling, though. Like I think where we're at now, it's like, well, hey, listen, there, there's a tax over. Was it two ten? Is the tax now? I think yeah, I think it's over two ten right now. Okay, so yeah, that is like, like I said, I'm just tired of teams like Tampa and Oakland who just their fans have to consistently get comfortable watching their favorite players leave after a certain number of times because the team. You know, the billion-dollar organization doesn't want to pay the player. And so I love the idea of the floor, but let's not necessarily push the ceiling any lower. So are you saying the, you're fine with $108 million? Like, I'm fine with, like, how it is now. Like, anything over 210 oh, yeah. 210? Okay. Tax. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, yeah. I, but I do think we need, like, some sort of a floor, and I think $100 million is kind of a fair price. I, I guarantee you, though, the Rays aren't going to spend a nickel over $100 million, but... Yeah, so right now the projected 2021 payrolls, this is as of April 1st, 2021. I'm using this off of um, 
COTS baseball contracts, um, legacy.baseballprospectus.us.com. Um, right now, the raise as of Mar- April 1st, 2021, 66.7 million. I mean, come on. I'd like two guys in the Yankees make more than that. Yeah, that's 34 million away from freaking 100. And or- Orioles, 57 million. And then you got the Pittsburgh, which is 45 million. Yeah, Jesus you kidding Christ. me, man? It's a joke. Trevor Bauer, well, prior to his whole, you know, dis- what's going on with Trevor Bauer, one year of Trevor Bauer is the entire payroll of the Pittsburgh Pirates. Yeah. Like, uh, that, that shouldn't be a thing. Yeah, you shouldn't be penalizing guys for teams for spending money, uh, at least over $180 million. It should be, I'm buying 210 I guess. But... But even yeah. like one eight doesn't seem like it's that much. What's that? Like one eight, like how many teams are spending over one eighty? There's oh. the Reds, mm. the Yankees, the Red Sox, Phillies, Mets, and then is that yeah, guys? And then you got the Dodgers, obviously, and then yeah, you got a good amount. Well, as of as of right now, and as of April first, twenty twenty one, there's a good amount of teams, forty man roster wise, that are over one eighty. But either way, a lot of these teams still need pieces to add, and for to be contending within the next for next season as well. And having a 180 initial tier, that's going to hurt them a lot in terms of like revenue, and they're going to be giving team they're going to be giving money to other teams that are not really spending whatsoever. And yeah, your thoughts? Now, now do you think? Where am I going with this? Do you think that, like, what would you put the, like, initial luxury tax tier at? So right now, if the proposed talk is going to have it at 180, right now we already have it at 210, but would you change that? Would you raise it lower? What do you think on that? Um, I would say, I think 210 is completely fine right now. I don't think you're going to, uh, or 200. It has to. It can't be more. It cannot be less than two hundred. That's all. I'm all. That's all I know. Okay. Yeah. Because one eighty is too too low, especially like you were saying. Like guys are just getting paid, paid more and more and more, because we have all this revenue coming in from all the deals baseball's making between TV deals, um, merchandise deals. They have all this revenue coming in, and so like and players want to get paid. Their shares work. Their like their fair market value? Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. I guess. Yeah. Now, do you think 100 million for the floor is that too low, or where do you stand on that? I mean, there is such a thing as small market teams. We'll say that. So I think 100 million would be fine. I guess because if you think about it, teams that are currently taking right now, they're going to be bringing in all these minor leaguers, all these prospects, and for the first, and as they're coming up in the system and as they're being called up to the majors, they're not going to be making that much money compared to other guys. So te- the teams that are tanking right now, and they're now they're going to be spending money in the free agent market, they're probably reach hundred. They're probably going to be able to keep hundred million pretty easily. And yeah, so I think hundred million is perfectly fine for the floor. Because, okay. Yeah. What do you think? Well, I'd almost say, like, listen, why don't we just go, I'll meet you in the middle, all right? The initial luxury tax will do at $200 million, and the floor, I think, should be $120. Uh, just because, like, I don't know, I, like you said, there's teams that aren't, like, the bottom three teams aren't too far away from $100 million, so it's like, is that really going to change how they approach the game? Like, do you think now with the new salary floor that, Tampa is all of a sudden going to go out and sign the big free agent for like 10 years, $30 million. Probably not. But if you make it 120, then it almost like incentivizes them to go out and sign some big contracts as opposed to, you know, like I, I feel like the bottom feeders are still going to be towards the bottom and still just like barely go over a hundred. If go over a, like, if go over a hundred at all, you know? Yeah. But I feel like if, you're spending the bare minimum of 120 million. Um, you really there's gonna be let's face it, there's still gonna be teams that are not gonna be making the playoffs, but they're just spending the money because they have to. And 
are guys that are wanting to win championships going to go to those teams that are not really on the brink of being competitive whatsoever? So that, I think that's part of the reason. It's because like the salary-wise, annual salary-wise, um, they're probably going to... Um, where am I going? They're probably going to be less likely to go to a team with a 120 mil um, floor, but they might go to 100 mil floor. Is what I'm saying make sense? Or not? Yes, I, I'm following you. <laughs> like, I don't know. I, either way, the floor is a good idea. I definitely think this is something that's like long overdue, especially I like how you know I keep referencing them, but the Rays have sort of been the the pinnacle of just not spending money but being competitive. And it's like, well, man, imagine how good that team would be if they had a, like one big contract or one, you know. Right. Like, if the Rays don't win the World Series this year, are we going to look back and say, huh, man, had they gone out and gotten, I don't know, Garrett Cole a couple of years ago, and he's in year two of pitching for the Rays, do they go out and win the World Series this year? You know, and so it's like, I, I, I'm tired of that narrative, especially with how competitive the Rays have been. So it's like, I'm optimistic that this new salary floor, if implemented, <laughs> will only be a good thing for baseball, but I do worry about that ceiling. So you think 120 for the floor? I, I would say, like, I, I think 100 is going to make it competitive, but I think we're going to see 120 within the next five years. Okay. Yeah. I'm fine with either. I just want to see a floor. And like you were saying, I do want to see teams like the Rays spending money. And I also do want te- another team that needs to spend money is probably the... The uh, I would like to see the Pirates spend more money too. That's that team is. We saw them like they're they had a really high ceiling and they had like a really good window, but they just never invested in that team whatsoever. So like, windows are getting closed too early for teams. I feel like, and we saw that with the with the Cubs. You know they still went out there and spent a lot of money out there, but they never really brought in those pieces towards the end of the season to really take them to another level for that threshold. And then we saw them trade away all these guys. We saw them trade away Chris Bryant. We saw them trade away Anthony Rizzo. You Darvish. I'm missing another person. Javier Bias? Javier Bias, right. Yeah, so their window closed way too quickly compared to teams that are still like spending money and still investing in their teams and still wanting to, like still trying to extend their window. Like, we see the Astros right now. They've been competitive since 2016? 2015. Because that's when they, they beat the Yankees. In, no, the Yankees beat them. No. Who won the wild card again in 2015? The Yankees or the Astros? Yeah, 15, they lost to Houston. They lost so, to Houston yeah. wild card. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, so the Astros, their window started in 2015. And they've just been investing in their team since then. So it's been it's on for six years as of right now, seven years right now. And there still are still the windows probably up until twenty twenty four I wouldn't say because they still are still investing in that team and they're still trying to keep stay competitive and the AL West is complete um it's complete it's gonna be up for grabs pretty soon in terms of like with the Mariners really starting to um come up with their prospects so right now the Astros are still spending money to stay on top of there. And that's with losing some of their core guys like Springer and Garrett Cole. They're still competitive. Yeah, and obviously you have Verlander coming off the books at some point in a couple of seasons, and they're going to reinvest that money into even more more guys. So, yeah. Alrighty, so one of the teams that the, Yank, that, not the, Yanks, that the Astros are being competitive. Wait, do you have any lost thoughts? Final thoughts? No, I, th- I think we hit them all. Yeah, I, like I said, I'm definitely excited to see a floor. But let's just keep careful with where we put that ceiling. Yeah. And this isn't too biased Yankee fans talking either, by the way. I just want to say that this is just us being baseball fans and wanting to see teams actually invest their money and whatnot. A little bit of bias. Not much, just a little bit. I don't have any bias. Oh, oh, well then, uh, <laughs> no bias. Yeah, yeah, no bias. Because let's face it, the Dodgers have a really, really high payroll. But the reason why they have such high payroll is because they're able to do those big trades because they still are very good at valuing talent. You see them, they trade away 
uh, Jeter Downs for Mookie Betts. They traded away so many good guys. But then once they get the trader, the guys they traded for, they sign them to a long-term extension like Mookie Betts. And they're going to keep Trey Turner, too. Because Trey Turner, I think, is free agent in like two years or so, I want to say. Yeah, he's got another year after this year. Yeah, so you still see... So, yeah, the Dodgers have a high payroll, but they're not really... I don't... Do you think the Dodgers are buying their championships, like their divisions? Okay, the only reason that I, I would make... I could understand that argument is because their payroll is so high, but like you said, man, a lot of their guys are either homegrown talent, which like the Walker Buellers, uh, Dustin Mays, um, you know, they, they generate a lot of talent from that organization, and then when they see a piece they want, they go all after it. So if, if anything, I think more teams should be like the Dodgers because whenever there's a big free agent or whenever there's a big trade piece available, the Dodgers are always, always, always linked to that guy. And so to me, it almost makes it more exciting if you kind of give more teams to be like that because then, you you know, it, it's going to turn to the highest bidder or whoever wants to be, you know, give it the most prospect. And we really kind of have some of that now, but like even then when a guy like Scherzer is available for trade, you're already taking out like 15 teams who don't even want to touch the contract or the money that's going to be associated with the contract. So a lot of these guys, it seems like they almost end up falling into the Dodgers' hands just because the Dodgers have the money to afford it. So it's like I, I wish more teams would be like that. So yeah, I, I just I think that uh, to me there's no reason to not be like that. I understand there's small market and whatnot, but there isn't a single franchise worth under a billion dollars. So I mean, why can't they just take get rid of some profits and invest in the team to get more profits? You know. Yeah, and on the subject of the Dodgers, you have freaking Kenley Jansen that's homegrown. You've got um, Julio Urias. Um, Walker, like you were saying, Bueller too, Kershaw, Will Smith, and Justin Turner's been a huge, like, the Dodgers are just very good at evaluating, evaluating talent and seeing opportunities that they can do that easily can go for, like Turner and Max Muncy as well, um, Muncy they got from the Athletics, I believe, mm-hmm. and they've just always been good at flipping their young talent for other for guys that are going to be those big pieces, and yeah, the Dodgers are just really Really well, good run organization. Andrew Friedman, former Rays executive, it's definitely revolutionized the Dodgers' way of going about business. Let's go ahead and start recapping. Well, we already discussed the Orioles, but now the Oakland Athletics are struggling, and kind of sucks because they were really the only other team to AL West that was really being competitive against Houston. And tonight they're starting off a big series against the New York Yankees. And the Yankees have been absolutely hot. Hot, hot, hot. 11 wins in a row. Now, do you think that, like, if you were to guess, uh, it seems unrealistic to say that they're just going to walk into Oakland and win all four games. What game do you think, like, what's your series predictions, and what games do you think they're going to lose? So you're going to give, like, an actual... Like, you like your series prediction for this weekend. Ooh, I think... I don't know, man. The losing, the winning streak has to end at some point, and the Athletics have to start playing well at some point too. So it's just the perfect. Like I think tonight, I think tonight the Yankees win. I think they get to twelve, and then I think tomorrow they lose. Okay, so we're pushing in the winning streak to twelve, and then what do you think about the whole series? Whole series, I think the Yan- I think it's gonna be split decision two two. Ooh. Okay, I like that. I like that. I was gonna say three one New York with them losing on hmm. I wanna see the win streak get to thirteen. So what would that mean? They have to win tonight tomorrow. So yeah, the win streak's gonna end on Saturday. That's my pick. Who's pitching? tonight's gonna be Who is I know going for Oakland. I didn't see who's going for New yeah, York. Tonight's tie on and then against Capriel and tomorrow's Garrett Cole against Mania. Okay, so I can see Saturday losing. <laughs> Yeah, who's putting Saturday? I mean, it's Cortez on, oh, on damn. Saturday. But Cortez, what about Sunday? Sunday, it's going to be Mon- Monty against Blackburn. Uh, uh, oh, man. I don't know. They might not, like, okay, little Yankee bias here. We might not lose again. But, um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm still going to take. I'll take Saturday. I think tomorrow they lose in a heartbreak. Is Cole the bound? Yeah, but it's not going to be Garrett Cole's 
Cole's issue. It's going to be, I think, the bullpen might blow it. Oh, that is true. Yeah, the bullpen has been real shaky, so that's, that's a really good point. Yeah, so tonight you're not going to see Chappie whatsoever. You might see him tomorrow, and then tomorrow he might blow it. And then Saturday, I think the Yankees lose again on Saturday, and then Sunday, I think the Yankees win. Because I'm... Cortez is due for a bad outing, unfortunately. I'm waiting for that. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, yeah, he's he's been too good, so he's due for he's due for one. What if there's like no adjustment to this, and he ends up just being this great pitcher? You think like Cortez? Wait, Cortez becoming a great pitcher, like in terms of like, <laughs> like I'm just saying, like he just he's actually just naturally that good. Like we're seeing like baseline Cortez right now. I love Cortez, but I don't think I don't think he can get any better. Doesn't the stash is gonna keep it going? Dude, that mustache is absolutely fire, dude. <laughs> I'm glad uh, he's one of the few Yankees that chooses to you know follow the rules, but also rock a nice little mean stash for him. Have you seen Giancarlo? He's growing out. He's growing out his facial hair pretty decently to the point where I'm like, how have they not told him to shave yet? Obviously, he's been hitting. Like, he's been hitting amazing. Mainly because he's actually playing in the field now, and Giancarlo, he he pretty much talked about how it's so much better playing the field because of the fact that he's in the game more. Whereas you you and I like talked like talked via text about this, where you see that as a DH he just really thinks too much about that at bat that he has. Whereas when you're on the field, you hit, and you just go straight on the field and you just focus on the game itself rather than you're just last at bat. Cause yes. Yeah, it definitely seems easier for those guys to be in the moment when they're um, when they're rocking like that, you know. Yeah, especially a guy from coming from the National League. Obviously, it's been a few years since since he played with the Marlins, but he's still wants he's still young enough to where he still wants to play the field. He's not at that age where oh, I can I'm fine being DH. He's not at that age whatsoever. Like Nelson Cruz, he's adjusted very well to the DH role, mainly because he knows he's a liability in the field. Whereas Giancarlo, he's still a really good fielder. Really good fielder. And he has a great uh, arm. Well, I'm glad to see, too, because, like, man, like, when you get a guy, like, with Giancarlo's contract and how much you're going to be paying him and, and the whole nine, it's like, man, you kind of expect that guy who's going to be making, like, upwards of, like, 200-something million dollars throughout his time as a Yankee, I kind of expect him to go out there and catch fly balls, you know? Uh, and especially like when he's not producing at the DH level, like we kind of like, hoped or expected he would. Uh, it's good to see he's out there and he just can at least play a position that's not just a DH. Yeah, and he's yeah he's still he's still young enough to where he'll probably still be pretty good for the to finish out at least the next three seasons being able to play the field. And maybe finally he'll start accepting that okay, I'm a DH now because it's a tough mindset being a DH. Aros struggled with it for the longest time until. 20, until 2015, where he kind of was forced into becoming a DH. Right. Because <laughs> he was coming off that year's the suspension. And yeah, and we saw that with Jorge Posada too, back in 2011, where he literally could not adjust to being in DH anymore, to where he just ended up having to retire at the end of the season, because he just had an abysmal season. Because the Yankees went out there and signed Russell Martin to be their catcher. Their starting catcher. And there was a time where Posada... The Girardi won in about ninth, and Posada was like, "No, I'm not doing this whatsoever. I'm just gonna not play today because he just never got into that great of a mindset to where I can accept that I'm a DH. I can accept that I'm no longer that defensive catcher. He never got into that mindset because being a DH, yes, it seems easy to just go out there and hit, but no, you got to think about you. You're literally thinking about that at bat for the next two to three innings until you're coming up next." And yet, it just weighs on you heavily, I think. And to me, it gave me like a whole like new level of respect for guys like Ortiz, Edgar Martinez, and even J.D. Martinez now. Just guys who are able to slide into that role from a defensive position to the D.H. And have just, you know, been amazing at it. So I, I tip my cap to those guys after just kind of seeing the struggle Stan has gone through. And now that we see he's playing in the field, he's playing better. It, it makes sense, but like I guess I never really thought of it. Like, oh, wow, you think if he's just hitting, he'd be a really good hitter because he can just focus on that. But there's a whole mentality and a whole mental aspect of the game that goes into it that I didn't consider. Yeah, and you got to know how many swings or too much swings in between at-bats because you know designated hitters go in between at-bats and go into the 
into the batting cages and just hit off the tee every once in a while just to stay warm. And you got to find that right balance of like, okay, how much do I, how many swings do I take before my next at bat? How many um, should I take swings between at bats? Because guys need to stay loose and loose and warm, and they're they just need to keep moving. If not, they're just get all tight, and then that just makes for a horrible at bat at the following. So you still got to be able to stay warm, and it's gonna take a while to find a routine to do that. So with Giancarlo, I don't think he ever got comfortable. I don't think he was he was ever able to find a routine. And now that he's playing the play, not the playoffs. Now that he's playing the field, he's gonna be able to keep focus on. He can focus on each at bat at once rather than just thinking of it all the time. Right. Yeah. No. I, and like, I'm excited to see he's doing well again. I mean, we need a guy like him to kind of stay hot for the team. Uh, and I, honestly, I, like, no cap. I kind of like Aaron Judge in center field. Oh yeah, he's been amazing center field like a lot better than I expected and the Yankees have very tall outfield with Judge in center Giancarlo in right and then Gallo in left well, listen, we got a lot of big boys alright <laughs> how about that catch Gallo made man oh the diving one in Atlanta yeah that was beautiful that was beautiful like he surprised me too I, I, I like I didn't follow him that closely in Texas just because they weren't too good of a team for the majority or it seems like the majority of the time he was there uh but yeah he really is like a def- like a very good defensive outfielder so super yeah. gl- uh glad we got him because I'm, I'm used to like Clint Frazier out there where it's like a pop flies hit to him and it's like all right there's about a 50 50 chance at best he's catching this I wouldn't say 50-50. I would say like 25% chance he catches it. <laughs> yeah, so I'm glad to see I got some little faith out there in left field now. Awesome. Alrighty, you got anything else? Uh, that's it for me. Alright, and this has been episode 18 of the Insider Podcast. My name is Elijah, and that is... Boy Sutton. Alright. <laughs> now we're on the same page compared to last There episode. we go. <laughs> All right. Whether it's good morning, good afternoon, or good night, thank you for listening to episode 18 of the Sidekick Podcast.